Intensely Inquisitive, the podcast that searches for answers to life's big and not-so-big questions from the people qualified to give them with your host, Orion Kelly. Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen to Intensely Inquisitive. I'm Orion Kelly, and at the core of this podcast is a desire to understand things on a deeper level, to know more, and ask why. My purpose is to empower you with knowledge, education, and growth opportunities through open, honest, and inquisitive conversations. Intensely Inquisitive. On this episode, we explore the topic of coronavirus. We dissect the worldwide pandemic that is COVID-19. My guest is doctor, medical specialist, and my wife, Renee. And a quick note, this podcast does not provide medical advice. Everything we say is purely conversational. It is not in any way designed to provide you with medical advice. For medical advice, please consult your local medical healthcare practitioner. Now let's get to it. Renee, thank you for joining me. Not a problem at all. I've obviously already mentioned that you're a doctor. You're my wife. You're a doctor. Okay, we've established that. But this is just a general conversation about COVID-19, coronavirus. We're not saying you are a specialist in the field. I don't even know what, what specialist field is this. Public health or infectious diseases. Okay. You're a medical doctor and you're at the right at the entry point for everyone's uh, experience. So it's a great conversation to have. And we talk about it a lot just in general. So I thought it'd be great to talk about it in a podcast because a lot of people are one way or the other. They're either completely panicked or yep. they are completely oblivious. Mm. there's not much in the middle. So I guess the best starting point would be maybe just quickly talk us through what is coronavirus? So coronavirus or COVID-19, it started in Wuhan, China in early December 2019. So coronavirus jumped from an animal species into um, humans in a wet market in Wuhan. Coronaviruses have been around for a long time. We've had many um, outbreaks of coronavirus over the years, but this is a new novel coronavirus and we don't really know much about it. And that's why we're learning a lot as we go at the moment. So this virus started in Wuhan and then rapidly spread throughout China. And with our amazing travel that we have in this world, it spread quite rapidly throughout the world, mainly through people traveling to different countries or returning home and bringing the virus home with them. And now we're in a pandemic as a result of that. It's a really bizarre and interesting and kind of captivating experience from afar because we are sitting in Australia, very close to Asia, really we're Australasia, we're close to China. They have this bizarre outbreak of this virus and then all hell breaks loose and we're kind of like watching it on TV and reading about it and thinking, oh my God, what on God's name is going on? And they just, they lock down the city, they lock down whole areas and still we think, oh, this is kind of a bit bizarre and then you know, we start to kind of talk on social media about wow check it out the pollution's gone in china because of, you know it's like a bit of a running joke or conversation that doesn't really have any attachment to us and then as you've just touched on coronavirus became more than just china and the first few stories that we thought okay it's affecting us is when you know there were there were cruise ships all being turned away and, and there were people being stuck in china some that were coming back to Australia because that's where they're from or some coming back to Australia for the academic year or whatever the reason was and all these people were stuck and then it started to affect us. So it's got to that point quite quickly. You briefly touched on it, but can you just talk a bit more about how did it go from go from China to other countries and how did it get to Australia for those that don't exactly understand? So we don't know a lot about this virus, but there are some things that we've observed and now think are correct. So we know that this virus is spread via droplets. So what that means is when you cough or you sneeze, little bits of droplets that you can't actually see go out into the world and they land on surfaces. And then we touch those surfaces with our hands and then we touch our nose, eyes or mouth and we put the virus into our body by doing that. The other way um, this virus is transmitted is if someone coughs or sneezes directly within your face. So <laughs> I'm talking about you have to be within 1 to 1 1.5 metres of the person for those droplets to affect you. 
Or you have to be in a confined space with that person. So something like a cruise ship or an aeroplane or a space that's small for a period of time. So the level of exposure is obviously greater the longer that you're in that confined space. And I'll talk about close and casual contacts a little bit later, but just more about the virus. We don't believe the virus is airborne like um, like measles is, so that's a positive. So it's not just floating around in the air. It can't just jump across the room to you. It has to be spread via the droplets. And that's why um, you'll see healthcare workers wearing masks and gowns and gloves and goggles to try to prevent themselves from getting infected. And that's where it becomes really important for everyone to understand that the masks are important for the people on the front line so that there's actually doctors and nurses alive to be able to treat you in hospital when you become sick and need healthcare, not for people that are well walking around in the towns and streets that have no symptoms and they're taking the masks from the people that actually need them. The only other time where masks are relevant is if someone has the infection and they need to go into the community, say, to see their GP or they have to go somewhere within a hospital department, then you'd put a mask on that person to try to prevent further spread. But otherwise, at this stage, we don't think wearing masks on everyone is appropriate, especially because of the precious resource that they are. And I guess the point there is the masks are absolutely relevant for the general public if they feel like they're going to a hospital or a GP because they feel like they have the symptoms or meet the criteria of COVID-19. But the point is... If you think you should go to a hospital just to take a mask so you can walk around your local shopping centre, you're taking potentially taking that away from someone who actually needs it, as in a patient or medical staff at the hospital who then either run out of them, don't have them, and are actually at much more risk of transmitting the virus throughout the community. And thing to keep in mind is that these stocks majority of them are made in China and the factories in China have been shut down for the last month or so. So there is a significant shortage of these um, equipment um, to be able to order them and have them for the hospitals. And this is what is becoming, I think, a farce, like just a bizarrely odd experience to live in a world where grown men and women are physically fighting over toilet paper, the supermarkets have now had to step in as we would with our children and go, no, 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 you, you have to share, kids. You, you have this one and you have that one and you guys share. And, oh, we can't, you can't have more than one at a time. We're going to limit all this. Like the supermarkets are limiting how much tissues, toilet paper, paper towels, pasta, rice, whatever. They're limiting it because, number one, people are – stockpiling rather than being prepared. Number two, I can only assume there's no structural setup for manufacturing to literally make the amount of products that is on demand and get them where they need to go, especially when components come from different countries like China. So it's an absolutely surreal time to be alive. And I don't think there's a single person that I know that hasn't been affected one way or another with regards to getting basic Household items from the supermarket. It is genuinely bizarre. I'm not entirely sure why it's happening. What's what's your take on? I think it's important that we talk about the difference between being practical and being aware and being prepared, which I completely agree with, and being absolutely hysterical, panicked, and stockpiling. There, there is a difference. But what's your take? And maybe explain what the difference would be. And I guess the, the other question is, why in God's name do we need to be prepared and stockpile stuff anyway? So I know that's a loaded question. I know the answer. but so I think I'll start by saying what the symptoms of COVID-19 are to start with. So we know from China and other countries that are um, far more affected than we are currently that the most people get a sore throat, a dry or productive cough, meaning they're coughing up something. And some people get fever, some people don't. Some people get gastrointestinal side effects, so something like diarrhea has been found in some cases. As far as... Oh, shit, I've got it. So <laughs> that's, what, that's what everyone's thinking, including me. Oh, my God. She, I've got a, she said a sore throat. I've got a sore throat. She said a bellyache. I've got a bellyache. She said, she said uh, like, you know, seriously. This is true. This is true. I've so, got to get a swap. Where do I get a swap from? So I've got coronavirus. Let's wind it back a second. Let me finish about the symptoms and then we'll talk about all of that. We'll unpack all no, of that. I actually think I've got it now. So you don't have it. 
So the other thing is that not everyone gets a runny nose and all those classical oh, got a runny nose? cold symptoms. <laughs> and there's really, really strict criteria. So we have public health physicians and we have infectious disease physicians and there's strict guidelines of at the moment what we would say is someone who's at risk and someone who's not at risk. So the people that are at risk are those that have returned from overseas travel from any country is a moderate risk. Now, this is an important point because a lot of people in the public may be the, of the opinion that it's only one or two countries, China, Iran, okay, China, Italy, yep, and South Korea. Though I don't think people get the connection that, well, hang on, what do you mean – Anyone who flies into our country's Australia, you might be listening to a different country, anyone who flies into our country from a different country, well, why are they at risk? Well, the, the point is because it's a worldwide pandemic and you don't know who's been on the plane. Is that in effect? Well, it's also because we know that um, people are infectious about 24 hours before they develop symptoms. So they so Where were they 24 hours ago? Correct. Exactly. Transit. And then a lot of people do just go, oh, it's just a sort though, it's nothing. Um and then move on, and they're infectious. And so there's people that are spreading viruses yep. all over the place. That's that's one criteria. So travel – so the high-risk countries are still Italy, Iran, China, and South Korea. They are – you when you return to Australia, you immediately have to go into quarantine for 14 days, so self-quarantine at home. And it doesn't matter if you feel well or you don't feel well, 14 days regardless is what's required. Yeah. Yeah. So that's for those countries. For all other countries that aren't of those four, you are at increased risk, not the highest risk, and you're not required to 100% self-quarantine if you're well. So if you're well, the, the guidelines are to keep a close eye on how you're feeling, go about your business, but don't go to places with lots of crowds. Don't do everything like you normally would. Have a bit of common sense about it. If you're coming back from any country and you're unwell, then you have to self-isolate. So that means I've gone to, say for instance, this is not true, but I went to Bali a week ago. Uh, I'm feeling okay. I go back to work. Oh, just a second. I've got a sore throat. That's when I would go into quarantine at home. I'd go in home if I was feeling okay. I'd stay at home and then I'd seek medical attention to get a swab at that stage. Or if I was very unwell, then I would put myself into quarantine and then contact the local hospital or the ambulance. But I would declare I've been to Bali and I've got these symptoms so I don't infect more people with it. People think that's it, right? People think, okay, so to get coronavirus, you have to have been overseas or been in contact, close contact with someone who's been overseas. But a lot of the countries are now starting to build up data on community transmission. So someone locally giving it to someone locally. So for example, let's say I I have not been out of the country in in years, but I feel like I've got a pretty bad cold or flu-like symptoms. And I think, oh, but I don't fit the criteria because I haven't been overseas. Am I right? So there's more criteria before I answer that question. Okay. Questions are piling up. Yeah, they are. So the other criteria are a combination of things. So the travel plus having respiratory symptoms or so a what, fever. What, what does that mean, by the way, for regular So respiratory symptoms, cough, yep. shortness of breath, runny nose, sore throat, they're the or aching muscles. They're the kind of symptoms we're looking out for or fever. So oh God, I've got I've got it. So when we're doing swabs in Australia, the guidelines are that you've have those symptoms plus you've returned from overseas or you have returned from China, Iran, Italy or South Korea and you've got some of those symptoms. The other group is healthcare workers, so people working in aged care facilities or residents within aged care or people that work within hospital or healthcare. So um, there is a lower threshold for taking swabs in Australia on those people and that's because they are at far higher risk of spreading it to the vulnerable people that this virus seems to affect in the worst ways. It also means they're at higher risk of getting it because you wouldn't be testing them if they they couldn't have got it. Correct, Yeah. yeah. So... Backing back further to your original part of the question, which was... What's the point of stockpiling or what's the difference yeah. between being prepared and stockpiling? So if you've, say, for instance, you get um, have to go into quarantine 
out of the blue, then you'd need to have enough of your essential medications. You'd need to have enough of your staples to be able to live at home without going out. So home isolation doesn't mean you still go down to the shops, that you greet family and friends at the door, that you go to the um, pharmacy and pick up your tablets. Self-isolation is literally you don't leave the house. You don't have visitors coming to you. If you want to order your shopping online, get them to leave it at the door. Don't greet the person. I really find this part interesting. So with regard, we'll get, don't worry, we'll get to the practical stuff, but with regards to isolation. So for those listening, let's just use me. I have been suspected of having COVID-19. I've gone to a you know a fever clinic or an ED department or GP or whatever, and uh, I've got a swab. So from the second they swab me and they send me home, home isolation starts until I get results back. And if we're using me as an example, I've got you, a wife, and two kids. So you guys go to school and go to no. work and enjoy your life, no. and I'm stuck at home forever. No, we are all isolated. So your entire family is isolated. Now, what about if I have a workplace and I hung out with my workmates the day before or two days before or every day like I always do? Just so this is where um, public health comes in. So in Australia, if any confirmed case of COVID-19 gets notified to the Department of Health and Human Services, and then they do what's called contact tracing. So what that involves is looking at close contacts. So a close contact defined by the Department of Health and Human Services is someone who's been within one metre of somebody else for over 15 minutes. That's one metre of someone else with COVID-19, not just some random person in the supermarket that they've um, been in a confined space. So like we are talking about before, the plane, the conference room, a small or large space that's enclosed um, for over two hours. So they're close contacts. So that would be things like your family because you live in the same house as them yeah. and you live in them from with more than just two hours. So they're close contacts. So close contacts are someone with COVID-19. So people have to remember that. this it, They are saying... If you know you've been in close contact with someone who has been confirmed as actually having coronavirus, not yes. just some random dude on the street that coughed or sneezed on you and like, oh my God, I've got to come in a hospital and get a swab because a dude sneezed on me in the shops. So particularly for people that are in the same house, then they would also go into isolation and they would monitor for symptoms for 14 days. And if they didn't develop any symptoms, then they'd be fine. And if they did, then they'd get swabbed and see if they were also positive. But in the case where I haven't got a confirmed case, I've just been swabbed and I'm waiting on results. I don't know if I do or don't have, but you're saying once the swab's complete and I go home, me and my family are in isolation in, in our home until the results come back and what you're saying is with regards to the people stockpiling and preparing and all that kind of stuff, the fine line between being practical and being panicked, it's not just me. I've got to make sure that my wife has all her medications, if any, my kids, if any, and that if you live in a family of more than yourself or you and your partner, then you're probably going to need a lot of toilet paper. You're probably going to need a lot of tissues and hand towels and bread and milk and, you know, these kind of things because you could, as a worst-case scenario, be unable to, you know, leave the house for a couple of weeks. Can I just say my thought is this seems utterly ridiculous that people could be stuck in their home for two weeks and they can't get toilet paper to their house like a week in because idiots that aren't restricted to, you know, home isolation are basically buying 80 rolls. Yeah, it's it's a little bit crazy. So I think the thing to really stress is the difference between being prepared and stockpiling. So the government really recommended two to three weeks of enough staples to get through in case you were quarantined at home for that length of period. What, you don't need 80 rolls of toilet paper for two weeks? What do you mean? <laughs> Unless you have maybe 40 people in your family, then that might be appropriate. But I think the average family is not going to go through 80 rolls of toilet paper. What do you mean? I've got a garage full of them. So, yeah, so it is ridiculous. So being prepared is important, but stockpiling is just stupid and bad for everyone. And but we, let's, let's, before we judge, let's get into the minds of these ordinary Australians. Why are they panicking so much? Why are they so panicked that they have to literally get all the toilet paper in a shop you know, wait until it opens at 5am, push people out of the way, fight people. Why? I think social media has a lot to do with people's reaction. 
or overreaction. So if I look back, so not so long ago when SARS was around, so SARS is the same virus as coronavirus, it's just slightly different. So coronavirus, its actual scientific name is SARS-CoV-2. So what I'm trying to say is we have had similar viruses in the past and some countries had know what to do in those situations. So China um, is one definitely. The others would be Japan, um, uh, Taiwan, the countries that have had to deal with something like this before. And so they know that they have to be prepared and they know about social isolation and they know about all of those things. And it's not a big deal because they've lived through it before where we have never ever been through this before in this generation. So the last time there was a pandemic of this scale was 1918 during the flu pandemic. I remember it well. So I think there's not many people alive that have lived through that. So it's hard to even get that knowledge passed down through generations because this is a one in 50 to 100 year occurrence. So If they were born that year, they'd be 102. So I'm pretty sure... There's not many of them. Yeah. Well, certainly yeah. if they're born that year, they didn't really live through it, but uh, I get what you're saying. So yeah. on that, because obviously I have a relatively big presence on social media and sometimes I think, you know, people are always, not you, people are always blaming and whinging social, oh, social media, this social media. But the fact of the matter is all social media is, is a thing because of people. It's nothing without people on the platform. So yeah, I think the problem though is, Orion, that people spread incorrect information and they scaremonger. So but, see, I, but see, I'm an, I'm a person that can, can look at something and make my own decision uh, and go, I don't think this is right or wrong. I get that we don't all have doctors and, you know, professors and scientists Yeah, and I, you can't to- assume that because look at the um, people in the past who have sold um, like home remedies to cure cancer and people died as a result of it. Yeah, no, so take the point. Like, the point. Common, like common sense is not common. Maybe it's because, you know, the, the autistic brain at work, but my answer would be don't blame social media, blame idiots. Well, uh, yeah. In effect, the people that are panicking <laughs> and I'm buying everything at the supermarkets are just idiots. I mean, they just lack genuine intelligence. Oh, I think that's that's fine for your opinion to be that, but I think we've failed as a health system if we can't edu- educate people that aren't health literate to not be scared. Well, the first thing so I... So the answer is we've failed. Cool, but the first thing I remember is the health professionals telling the public for, for the majority of people, like 80%, it's going to feel like a bad cold. Now, that is burnt in my brain. I don't know if there's many people listening that remember that too, hearing that, you know, for, for the majority of people, coronavirus will feel like a bad cold, but for a small percentage of people, it can be deadly. I remember that. It's burnt in my brain. Yeah. So, so again, I don't blame the health system or the media or social media. I just blame idiots. Let me break it down. Yeah. Let, me, let me make it simple. So COVID-19 is not like the flu. COVID-19 is far different to the flu. So the flu is seasonal. It's worse during the wintertime. We don't think COVID-19 is. We think it's going to occur all the time. So it's not a seasonal thing. We know that COVID-19 affects pregnant women worse. It affects children and the elderly. So flu does that. Yeah. COVID-19 does not do that. So COVID-19, from what we know to date when this podcast was recorded, doesn't have an effect on kids and pregnant women. Like so we know, we, we definitely know it affects children and we know that some children do get sick, but there's been very limited deaths in people under the age of um, 18. Yeah. But we know that they can get it, but they might not um, realise they have it and therefore they just spread it everywhere. And they give it to Nan or Pop and... Nan or Pop die. So the, and the, we know that pregnant women, or we think that pregnant women aren't negatively affected like they are with influenza. How do we know until babies are born though? So we've got data just out of Wuhan. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so to go back to you saying it's just a cold, that, that's, that is correct. So if we look at the stats that we know, which is changing all the time, so this is literally just today, that 80% of people that get COVID-19 will feel like they just have a bad cold. And therefore might not even seek a swab because they, they just think what well, And I that's was... why she spreads so fast. Because, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know. How many people right now coming from summer to autumn, you know, in the in the hemisphere that we reside in, how many people don't start to fit? Absolutely. To get those, absolutely. Everyone, everyone. You tell me a person. No, no, know, yeah, it's a disaster. Who hasn't got a cold at the moment. Absolutely. Everyone has a bloody cold. But those people haven't been overseas and they haven't been in contact with a COVID-19 positive person. So calm the truck down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so the, the thing is, 
there's panic for for wrong reasons, but the, the fine balance is, and you can take you can take it from here. The fine balance is, we can say that it's just going to be like a bad call for most people, but then we want people, and then the the, the response is, well, then there's nothing to worry about, mate. Don't you know, she'll be right. But so wrong. We don't. But so we don't want that to happen. No. As well. So you know what? No. It, it's a it's a walking contradiction. So let me let me finish. I think it's just because we have poorly educated people. So twenty percent of people that get it will need hospitalisation, and of those twenty percent, there's a fraction. Let's let's say five percent. I think is the latest will need intensive care and will need to be ventilated. So have a tube down into their lungs and breathing for them. And they might even need what's called ECMO, where they actually need a machine that filters the blood and puts oxygen in and acts like a heart and lung machine, essentially. So these people are really sick. And so that's 5%. So that seems like absolutely nothing. And of those, all of these people in Australia, we think that the mortality or the death rate is about 1%. That's not the same in every country. So yeah. if we look at Wuhan, uh, the death rate was sitting anywhere between 1% to 2.5%. If we look in Italy, it's currently sitting at 6%. So different wow. countries is totally different. But we, each of those countries we think are capturing different things. So um, in Wuhan, it's probably the closest to what we can say for us versus Italy where we think maybe they haven't captured any of the not-so-unwell people, so it's falsely skewed towards... And, and what you're saying there, for people wondering when she's not captured, what, what, I think what you're saying is in Italy they might not have had as many people who um, came and reported symptoms and got a swab and, were, and, and were positive because they just thought they had a bad cold and yeah. they thought, well, we're not in China, we're in Italy. Um, so that's where it gets... Tricky. Yeah. And so why this is important. So there's a there's known health epidemiological curves with these type of things. So graphs that we can look at from other countries and we can say, okay, so China had a hundred cases on week, let's call it week one. This is me making up weeks. By week two, they had four hundred. And then by week three they had etc. like 1,000, et cetera, et cetera. So we can predict based on other countries. So we currently in Australia, um, as of today, I think have 190 confirmed cases. So Italy was at 190 about two weeks ago and now they're well over 15,000 cases. 15,000 cases of uh, positive COVID diagnosis, not deaths. Absolutely. So if we then look at all this data and we can say, okay, so if we do – absolutely nothing and we just continue about our day-to-day business from today that yeah. we will end up looking like Italy. So 15,000 people will have it potentially have it in a couple of weeks. And of those 15,000 people, 1% will die. But but keep that this is where people forget. They think oh 1% that's nothing. Well it's a, it's a massive amount of people for a country of over 25 million. But what you have to understand is 15,000 people have it. Okay. What do you think people do? People be people. They, yeah, they and look interact. On, they and communicate. what we know is that on average, a person, one person that's infected, will spread it to two point six people. So for every one person, who will spread it? Who will spread it? Who will spread it? Correct. Clearly, if one person goes anywhere near someone vulnerable or elderly, and that it could it'll easily wipe them out, it would tear right through, uh, you know, an aged care facility, presumably. Yeah. Uh, so th- this is where it's actually legitimately serious, and, and the idea that there could be tens of thousands of people with it just walking around the community in a couple of weeks people are about to load up the car or school hall. i mean school this is this could be this is the this to me seems like the worst possible timing school holidays easter all those kind of pack up the car and go and have fun with the, you know in the in the world and this is the peak of where it's really going to ramp up and then it could just Explode. Absolutely could. I, now I want to make it even more clearer. So let me give you just some numbers so that you can get your head around it. So why it's everyone's problem, because you and I are on the younger end of the scale. We don't have many medical problems, so we're not in the high risk group. But we can do our bit to stop it from getting to the vulnerable people, the older people, and, and we can reduce the amount of spread. So if we look at the data, why this is important isn't just because there's going to be lots of people that die. It's because those people are going to be in hospital so that when 
Joe Blow has a car accident and he would normally survive from it, there's no beds in the intensive care because they're filled by the COVID-19 patients. Or when the young 30-year-old woman who goes in to have her baby and has a disastrous outcome needs to be in intensive care, who would normally survive with no problem, there's no ICU beds, so she dies. Or the 20-year-old that decides to take a party drug on the weekend and has an overdose and then becomes critically unwell and would normally survive in our great health network dies because there's no beds for them because of the COVID-19. So what I'm trying to say yeah, but is... I'm, I'm young, it won't kill me, but the, your point is, yeah, it might not kill you, but the the 7,000 other things that kill people your age every day, you know, freak things... No, will- no, freak things, car accident, break yeah. your leg, no surgery, sorry, because our surgeries are t- surgical procedures are taken up by people with COVID-19. So people need to understand that our health system will be, and you can, you can tell me if I'm wrong, our health system will be literally crippled by virtually nothing but COVID-19 patients and therefore regular everyday people who won't be affected by COVID-19, although they'll probably have it by then, everyone will probably have it by then. So the prediction is 50 to 70% of the entire population in Australia will get this. So 50 to 70% of the population of Australia will will get COVID-19. Let's break those numbers down so it's easier for people to understand. So let's say uh, we live in a city with 75,000 people. And of those 75,000 people, 5% of those people are going to need intensive care. So let's estimate that's about 3,500 people that are going to need to be in intensive care for up to or longer than two weeks. Are you serious? Yeah. But let's say this city of 75,000 people only has 120 ICU beds. So that's a hell of a lot of people that are going to die because there's only 120 beds and there's 3,750 people that need those beds. And then that's that's not even the start of it. So then the mortality rate in the population will go up because people will die from things they normally wouldn't die of because there's no resources to treat them. You can't so then, get into hospital. So then if you think that all of those people that don't get intensive care that are going to die um, is, this, is the end of it, that's not. Then there's all the other people that can't get in to get the help they need that are also going to die. I guess the point here is you really have to understand that you might go, well, I'm not part of the 20% that's vulnerable to COVID-19. But the fact is, if you, you chances are you're absolutely going to get it. 30 40% won't get it. So pretty much you're probably going to get it. It's not going to feel that bad and you'll move on with your life. But well, when you get it, you might give it to other people and they might be critically unwell. And therefore, when you need the hospital or your family needs the hospital, there's a chance that it simply won't be able to offer you the standard of care you would expect in a normal situation because it simply doesn't have the resources or the or the ability to provide it. So this is the issue that we have to try and address. And, this and we're is talking why, worst case scenarios here. Yeah, but this is everyone's problem. People, people can't keep just handballing this. This is everyone's problem. We all have uh, elderly people we love. We all have um, young people we love. You know, can you imagine losing a, your partner or someone young in your family because they just couldn't get a bed or they couldn't get access to the right critical care? And, I mean, you know, we've done podcasts before. We I did, would be dead if we if did it, a podcast. COVID nineteen. We did a podcast when you had an ectopic pregnancy, so mm. a miscarriage. You know, and you kind of ruptured inside and you were bleeding to death and, you know, you were you, you died and they could fought you back in surgery. So if you presented to ED at that point and we were in the grips of the COVID-19 pandemic, as a doctor you are saying, well, you know, the resources just wouldn't have been there and chances are you probably would have died. So and- there's so much you can do, so much you can do to mitigate risk. So washing your hands will have to be the number one thing. So we know it's droplet spread. We know it's landing on surfaces. We think that some surfaces like metal or plastic that it might actually last for nine days on survive and then you touch and get the virus. Are you so, serious? So you need to wash your hands. So I'm talking oh soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Find whatever song it takes for you to keep washing your hands for 20 seconds, whether that's singing the ABC twice or whether that's – Whatever it is, there's so many different things out on social media that you can do to make sure it's 20 seconds or just count to 20 That's very what I was slowly. Say. I mean, bloody, bloody non-autistic people, what is wrong with you? You can't just count to 20. You need, <laughs> you need a goddamn song. You need, hey, oh, here's, a song, here's a song suggestion for you. Are you serious? You need a song suggestion to oh, save come your on, life? Rand. Count to 20. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? And so if you don't have soap and water, then the next best thing is um, using hand sanitizer. But it has to be having alcohol in it and the alcohol has to be over 60% or it's not going to kill the virus. Okay. And you really want to do it 
for a good Yeah, but it's not as good as washing your hands. Yeah, Just yeah. wash your hands. Soap and water. Number one. Number two, cough etiquette. Cough into your elbow or your shoulder or a tissue and throw it in the bin. Don't cough on your hands and then touch everything and put the virus everywhere. The other thing you can do is actually just stay at home if you're unwell, whether you've got COVID-19 or you've just got the common cold, whatever it is, if you're feeling unwell, don't go to work, explore working from home options. You've got so many other things that you could try other than going out and exposing people to the virus, whether that is just the common cold virus or it's COVID-19, you can just stay at home. Other things that you can do is if you're a smoker, now is definitely the time to stop smoking. And this tell us, is tell us the connection here. So this is why we there's some postulation that maybe this is why Italy's done so poorly with this because there is such a heavy popula- population of smokers. So what we know is that the virus attaches to a receptor within the lungs and causes this inflammatory, yucky response within the lungs. And people that smoke this receptor, there's more of it. So there's oh. more of it for the virus to bind to right. and therefore these people get more sick. People are wondering, Italy, it's nowhere near China. Why is it, why is it just gone bam? And the other thing is, well, we know that the virus is spread via close contact, and we know that in Italy they love a kiss and a they love a social interaction and kisses on the cheeks, all and of those hugs things. And, you know, so kiss, kiss, people, handshaking. No go. It's not even optional now. It's just no go. Just wave at someone or give them a, a elbow tap or a foot tap or, or don't touch yeah. anyone at all. Like, it, like I know it's a big change in society, but for the greater good, just stop doing it. This is like the best time to be alive for an autistic person. Seriously. <laughs> Stay at home and don't touch anyone. You can, you can be in social isolation. You don't have to awkwardly shake someone's hand. You, know, you don't have to like touch, be touched by someone else. You know how someone tries to – some people try to like give you a, a, a hug and a kiss in the cheek or something you don't know what you don't know they, they kind of go they go in but then they don't connect and they expect you you're supposed awkward. to connect it's like this is so weird man. i don't understand so what a time to be alive for an autistic person it's fantastic <laughs> this that's i wanted to ask about italy because i don't i don't get it and i think what i was really interested in is you mentioned there are some asian countries who have really without much intervention i guess from the authorities have just flattened the curve have just gone into a social isolation based on past experiences have done what they know is best for the greater good, not necessarily for themselves, but for the greater good. And other countries, potentially like Australia, are still stuck in that cultural lifestyle of, well, no, we don't ever have this kind of stuff. And, you know, no, no one can tell me what to do. You know, they tell me what to do, I'll vote them out. You know, those horrible politicians, those horrible political parties. Uh, but, you know, political parties don't make pandemics. I mean, you know, the politicians uh, don't make pandemics. All they can do is deal with it. And, I can only assume that Italy is is a great case study because presumably have refused at, at some point to give up their normal way of life, even though they know it's the worst thing they could possibly do. The handshaking, the kiss, the hugging, the whatever it is, yeah. you know, the slapping, the whatever they do. Uh, and it's it's a great case study for us here. And, and we, we need to understand it's time to make a change. Yesterday. It is about... Actually, going, you know what? This isn't about me anymore. This mm. isn't about I'll live my life and do what I want. I'm, I booked a holiday. Well, I'm still bloody going. I'm waiting, waiting for the holiday. I mean, you know, seriously, at some point you, you have to think about your own health, the health of your family, the health of your friends, yeah. and the health of the community. And this is very much one of those moments. What would you say this is a, a once in a hundred years? You think this is a once in a century pandemic? Correct. The last time we had a pandemic like this was 1918. But, but have you seen what they do in those markets? Like, won't that happen every year if they're going to keep doing that rubbish? Potentially. Yeah. That reminds me, when we had a conversation about it just in general, you said you should get used to the idea that every year you'll get a flu shot, a flu vax, and you'll get a coronavirus vax, potentially. Is that true? Definitely. So you'll go to the GP every year, you get your flu vax, and now you think if they can make it and get it sorted, we'll get the coronavirus vax Every year. So another reason why it's tearing through communities is none of us have ever had this virus before. So no one has any immunity. So it's really speaks volumes about immunization. So we know that we can yeah. curve. There's no herd mentality. No, it? there's everyone is is on their own. So no one's ever seen it before. There's other coronaviruses that we definitely have seen before, but this is a novel new one that has never been seen by anyone on the planet and that's why no one is immune. There's also new evidence coming out recently that you can be reinfected with it, which is 
also something that we don't always see. Normally the body will mount a response when you come in contact with the virus again, but at the moment we're seeing reinfection with the same virus. Um, potentially sometimes it's a new strain, but even with the same virus, people are getting reinfected. I don't need a vaccine. I'll just go to the GP, right, when I've got coronavirus, and I'll just ask for some antibiotics because antibiotics are the best thing you can get for viruses oh, like please, the cold. God, no. So let's let's back it up. Antibiotics for bacteria, not for viruses. I mean, I was obviously playing a character <laughs> there because that's not my own opinion. But the fact of the matter is, we need please be clear on this. You, you can't use antibiotics, or you know, even some people are using what I don't know what they call natural antibiotics. You can't use antibiotics to kill a virus. Antibiotics are for bacteria. So antivirals are for viruses, and we are trolling some antivirus. But did you want to repeat yet. what it's called again? It's called Corona. What? What's it called? Corona. Oh, Coronabacteria. Is that what it's called? No, it's called coronavirus. It's called coronavirus. It's a virus. It's not a bacteria. For yeah. God's sakes. So there is a role for antibiotics if you happen to get a superimposed bacterial infection. So well, and you could, that can happen in the lungs. Exactly. Like we know someone who had influenza and then got a chest infection with pneumonia and they were on antibiotics. Oh, that's right. That was you. No, not only. <laughs> so this is the thing though, right? Like I, and you'd had the flu vax, but you would I, have died otherwise. Been, so that's great. I've been there and done that. I had the flu vax and I got influenza A, right? The yep. bad one. Yeah. You know, and legitimately it gave me, <laughs> gave me pneumonia. I went in hospital for five days, got the pneumonia or influenza A again, and went back in a hospital for another week, for, for God's sakes. And that's with the vax. I've and that doesn't mean the vaccine doesn't work. That just means that you didn't die because of it. That just means it. that yeah. saved my life. Yeah. It saved my life, the, the fact that I had it. And, and that proves the point too. You know, I've got no issues with, that, with antibiotics. They're fantastic. What I'm saying is I'm sick of hearing people talk about they're protecting themselves from coronavirus with antibiotics. That just... It's the best antibiotic is to stay the freak at home in your house. That's the best antibiotic you could possibly have for coronavirus. And it's okay <laughs> to offend people by not shaking their hand or giving them a hug. Not going to the birthday party, not going to the cinema, not going to the big gathering. So this is the issue. This is I know we've got to wind it up, but this is a big thing. It seems oh, my God, like, I could talk for so much longer. I know. We can. It seems like there's Aussies <laughs> that are getting really – you know, offended, then knows how to join about the whole public gathering thing. Now, I take the point that, you know, it's it's restriction of liberty and also it puts a lot of people out of work, a lot of people who might be in smaller gatherings, festivals and, you know, performers and artists and entertainers and the whole arts community, even, you know, vendors at markets and different things. Absolutely. Um, it's kind of taking their livelihood, but also a lot of these people are casual-based mm. workers and that there's no sick leave or holiday or whatever. So I, I totally understand that. And it's just horrible. It, 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 it's going to – I think that COVID-19 is going to impact so many people from so many walks of life. We don't even begin to understand that, let alone what is going to happen to your family when the, this, all the schools close and you've got to work out who's going to work, who's not going to work, how are you going to pay all the bills with one income, all that kind of stuff. Don't forget that people still have to be working in the hospital – that's going to look after you when you're sick. And then what about those people who looks after their children? Well, I guess the point is a lot of healthcare professionals have kids. Absolutely. <laughs> if their kids can't go to school and you need the healthcare professionals to keep you alive, there's an issue there. Let's just quickly talk about the fact here. The fact of the matter is, in a worldwide, once-in-a-century pandemic scenario, is it wise to be selfish? No, these are exceptional circumstances that we will probably never encounter again. I hope we never do. That's 100% sure. But I think now is the time that you should be kind and you should actually think of others. And this is when you should be sharing your toilet paper with your elderly neighbour or your elderly relative so they don't have to go to the supermarket and be exposed to the selfish person that's gone there with the sore throat. Now's the time that you should look out for each other and look after each other. So... Instead of fighting in the supermarket, how about we practice some kindness? Instead of whinging and whining about the festival being shut down, let's maybe think about, okay, maybe that's 100 less people that are going to get infected. Oh, wait a minute, that's 20 less people that will need to go to hospital. Oh, that's five people that won't need to go to intensive care. Oh, that's one person that won't die as a consequence of me not having my festival. Oh, that's right, I just saved a life. And so I think the it's pretty simple. The 500 people is an arbitrary figure. I mean, they what they're trying to, I think what they're trying to say is, they're not saying 499 is okay. What they're trying to say is, you have to understand, guys, this isn't just an AFL game. We're saying, really, you shouldn't 
have have any public gatherings until we kind of get through this pandemic, which which will be months, which is tricky leading into things like Easter and, and Anzac Day and football. Hey, China managed on their biggest holiday of the entire year, so we can manage. And, you know, to that I would say it's very easy to get – people to do what you say in certain countries, Ray, okay? <laughs> this is Australia, mate, okay? The PM... So we're not going to, like, weld people's doors shut? I don't want to give uh, some countries too much credit for their self-isolation given they weren't actually, like, doing it themselves. Um, in Australia, I think it's a very different climate. So we have to keep that in mind. We, we, there's, nothing's black and white in the world except in my own thoughts because I'm autistic. But the thing is... With that, and I, I totally um, respect that kind of premise, the greater good, I think people struggle to accept that. Then maybe they should remember that when they fall over and hurt themselves or have a car accident, there won't be any resources. But I, I, I want to know, what, how, low, how low do we go? So the recommend, like there's some, there's some good graphs around that says what the safe number is and is it, and at the moment it's around 10 people. So the, PM's, the PM has said 500. By the way... Please, I, I don't care about who the PM is. I'm not a, I'm not a fan or I don't, I don't like or dislike the PM. I'm just saying, please don't blame the PM. He's the mouthpiece for people well above well above his expertise that have told him this is what we recommend, okay? So he might have agreed to it and announced it, but it's not his he, – he doesn't hate people. He's not trying to put you out of business. This is just what he's been told yeah. by experts. So the 500 – people thing, you know, is a public gathering thing. You're saying 10. It's a big divide there, clearly. So there's you- been uh, information released from the chief medical officer to health professionals to say no more meetings. So we're talking about groups of 10 or more meetings. So we've changed all our meetings to via Skype or via um, teleconferencing or other means. So we are... We as in the medical profession. Absolutely. So as the medical profession is taking this very seriously. So you're not going to see many medical people getting to any gatherings that are more than a couple of people. It's it's extraordinary. Think about it. You know, the, the people that are keeping us safe have actually been told by the powers that be that they can't hang out anymore. Like they need to go to work and stay the hell away from each other because can you imagine, number one, like Renee said, we're not going to have enough beds. We're not going to have enough resources. Ventilators. We're not going to have enough equipment. We're not going to have enough doctors, you know, nurses, specialists, whatever. But that's on the premise that they're all healthy. Well, the, 50% the, the, of the medical staff will get affected The at idea. Least and be off. The idea that we're so, the premise we're saying where there'll be there just won't be enough ICU beds, there won't be enough doctors and resources. That's based on the premise that all medical healthcare professionals will be healthy, but the idea that a percentage of them will get it too and will have fourteen days in isolation. You know, maybe they husband and wife or uh, wife and wife or husband and husband both work in the profession. One gets it fourteen days, another one gets it. It's an extraordinary loss. Uh, as someone in the medical profession, how do you sleep at night? How do you work the stress around the idea that you're on the dock, you're about to board the Navy vessel to take you to the, the front, the front line? You can't turn around. The war has started. You're, you're going there to fight it on the front line. You know, there's going to be people, soldiers falling down everywhere. I'm doing a lot of metaphors here. But the fact of the matter is you're about to fight a war in the trenches with your fellow medical professionals and... It could be something you'll never experience again in your life, probably won't be, and you just don't know who's going to who's going to drop and who's going to stay and, and how bad it's going to get. I mean, It could be for six months. Is it affecting your profession, you personally and also the people around you? 100%. How is it affecting them? So I, I've seen people that aren't as... Uh, educated about what it is and how it's working, all of those things, just become really panicked and start making not always the best decisions. Irrational. Yeah. So, and that doesn't help the general public. Like our role as healthcare professionals is to provide care for people. We signed up to this. Our job involves coming in contact with people that are infectious all the time. We don't not treat people because they have an infectious disease. That's part of our role. So, it's just about being sensible. We know how to prevent ourselves from getting infected. We just have to be very bloody good at it. What effect has it had on you personally? Uh, look, I, I would be lying if I said that I'm not anxious about things. Um, but not. I'm not anxious about getting it. I'm not anxious about 
how it's going to look in my immediate family or my surroundings. I'm anxious that people aren't taking this seriously and they don't get how bad this could potentially be and how much strain it's going to put on the medical profession. So I'm not just talking about the people, I'm talking about the infrastructure and then that just flows on to everyone else. So I really, I really want to talk about this. So people are probably thinking, oh, this, this stuff will blow over in a month or two, they'll get a vaccine and it'll all, be, it'll all be done and it'll all be finished and we'll move on with our lives and, you know, look, but by, I don't know, by May or something, Easter or May or whatever, we'll all be walking around going, how about that stupid, uh, you know, coronavirus thing? Tell us the truth. Tell us... How bad you think it'll get? Tell us how long you think this will last before we can go back to any kind of normality of life. And tell us a bit more about the idea of infrastructure, because I don't think people understand that. Certainly people that aren't lucky enough to live in metropolitan areas, by the way, because you know, people in regional and rural Australia, frankly, I think I get their emotion, that's good, but by the same token... It's going to be even more of a strain for the even further lack of resources. So tell, give it to us straight. So I, I think you're right. The rural and the regional areas, are, look, they, they might not be as affected. I don't think that's going to be the case because there's always people moving between areas and not sticking to the self-isolation protocols. So Or not knowing they have it. No. Yeah, absolutely. There's no point blaming people and vilifying people that have COVID-19. We're all going to be one of those people at some stage. Absolutely. So let's let's not take it back to the dark old days, days of the Grim Reaper and the HIV virus. Let's not go there. Um, let's be kind to each other and realise it's just a virus. That it's going to blow over in a month and it's not that bad. So, look, the, going back to the rural and the regional thing, the issue is that a lot of regional or rural hospitals aren't equipped for critical care services. They might have one critical care bed or they might not, um, and then they rely on transferring those people to metropolitan Just hospitals. Not be possible. So if those metropolitan hospitals are completely full, what happens? But they, look, some don't have EDs. Yeah. Some some don't have ICUs. Like we're still, some have one doctor. Got to get a broom closet and empty it out and put a ICU bed in there. I mean, it's seriously. Maybe we need to be approaching the the vets. And stealing some of their ventilators for their big mammals. I'm not joking. This is probably where we're going to end up. Wow! Yeah. So, but this is extraordinary when you think about it. This is this is like a whole new level of medicine. And you mentioned before six months. So the original predictions, this was last week, things move so fast with this thing. Last week, the Department of Health was saying that they were thinking their peak was going to be around June, July for cases and predicting something around 15,000 people needing um, medical attention but look these numbers change all the time and we've seen a significant increase in the amount of cases in Australia in the last few days and we've seen some um, local transmission as well so people that we can't find the original person that they came in contact with so thinking there might actually be some local transmission um, and that changes things so when that happens that's when we start talking about social isolation when there is local transmission because that's when things can start to ramp up and so if we don't do anything we could be like the Italians in a couple of weeks time but I can't give you an answer because things just changing us it's just changing so rapidly, and that's why we leave it up to the yeah. the epidemiologists and the the public health specialists to guide us and all of that. And I really need to stress that if anyone listening to this, this is not medical advice. If you need medical advice, you need to speak to if you're in Australia to the hotline. So there's a national hotline and there's a local hotline for Victoria where we are and there will be for your states. And you can call them and you can get advice or you can speak to your your health practitioner. So this is not in replace of that. This is just my opinion. It doesn't represent the opinion of anyone else in my profession. Yeah, well this is a medical this is a medical advice. This is a conversation about about coronavirus from from someone who doesn't know much about it and someone who is educating me. And I also want to up stress that everything we're saying is accurate at the time of recording this podcast. Absolutely. Zing. Okay. So <laughs> now when you say the peak, that's so the peak is June, July. Do, does that mean that once we get through the peak, there's still there's still a, a flow down period before we're back to normal? And if that's the case, when do you think we'll get to the point where it's just business as usual? I have no idea. Is it a vaccine stage, you think? I mean, if we can get a vaccine and everyone gets it. or they, they Surely they can't make enough vaccines for every person on the, on the planet mm. quickly, right? We're months away from that. I actually physically witnessed someone close to me die in front of me, like right there. It's just 
see someone actually die and take their last few breaths. It's not like they see in movies and stuff. This this stuff is not right. It's it's horrible. And well, that just highlights how bad that this could get. Like, well, you take change tact, and so, you yeah. talk about watching someone you love die, and that was in a really controlled situation with morphine and things. But with COVID nineteen, the experience in Italy has not been like that. It's been like war situations where they decide who gets to survive and who doesn't based on their age and their medical problems. So the person with <sighs> cancer that's sixty five, they've got no chance. Not to mention if they do have a chance. Because they've got cancer and they're on treatment, they are much more at risk of getting absolutely COVID nineteen because they've the got low immune system. And let's assume that you know you you're young and you don't care, but you, let's assume your mum has cancer and she's getting treatment. Well, if you get it, you know, chances are she'll absolutely he or she will absolutely get it because they're at risk. As but there'll chem- be no ICU bed to keep chemo, her alive this with time. chemo or whatever. And because they've got cancer, they'll, they'll be down the list anyway. You, in effect, will be killing. Your relative. I don't think anyone actually understands how horrible and how like once in a lifetime ridiculous this whole situation is. It's it's because it's you can walk outside and you can't see it. Mm. It just feels like business as per usual. Like it, it's not like when the bushfires around and the smoke was everywhere and you could feel it, you could smell it, you could taste it. It was like part of everyone. It's like, oh my god, how bad are these bushfires? Well, wait, I mean, we can't get any masks because there's so many bushfires and smoke. They were horrific and they impacted so many people, and it's just horrible. But this horrible, is not horrible. even like that was not even a, a blip compared to what this could do. Not, not that it wasn't horrific for the people that suffered and went through it. That's not what we're saying. What we're trying to say is put it in perspective. Don't compare a pandemic to bushfires. Bushfires are, are horrific and horrible, but we are talking about global mass deaths and illnesses. Definitely. Uh, have, have, have you read scientifically any kind of ideas of you know total numbers of deaths do you think that this, this one pandemic could cause worldwide? I mean, well, you get the global population and just take away 1% and that would be a gross underestimation of it. Okay. So they're numbers that are just incomprehensible. Yeah. What do we need to know? What do you want to say before we wrap this up? Take it seriously. Start taking it seriously. Stop thinking that's not happening to you, that's not going to affect you because that's a load of shit. This is affecting everyone and it's going to affect everyone now. So We've got to change our lifestyle. What are wash we- your hands. Stop touching everyone. Don't go out when you're sick. Stay away from large gatherings. So self-isolate the best that you can and protect the vulnerable people in our society. I don't have any sick leave left or I don't want to use manual leave to sit at home on the couch or, you know, I'm a, I'm a casual. I don't get sick leave. How am I going to pay me bills, mate? Well, that is a problem and I'm sure that this there will be some kind of solution to that over time. When don't worry. You'll be able to pay your bills when you infect your parents, they die and you get the, the <laughs> you get their <laughs> money in the will. I mean, seriously, like – Stop thinking about yourself, I guess, is the point. Well, yeah, th- that's true. But yeah, I think I, I read somewhere that in Italy that actually stopped all mortgage payments and rent payments because no one could work. So, look, there's it's an exceptional time. There's exceptional measures. They're in healthcare. They've put out special leave for people that have been affected so they, they you can access that if you don't have any sick leave left. So I think corporations and the government and everyone will start bringing things out for casuals and to look after people because, like, it's important that we try to curve yeah. the spread and take it seriously. And I think it's important that the governments, um, you know, step up for the community and I don't disagree with that. But I think this is where people handball all responsibility to the government. I think in a warlike condition like this, it's time for the community to take responsibility for themselves. The most powerful person in this is you, is us, is individuals. Absolutely. You've said yourself people just have to take control. Anything else you wanted to finish on with regards to what people need to know and hear? Just wash your hands. There's one thing that you can do is wash your hands. Wash your hands and stay away from everyone. This is a, like I told you, it's my dream come true. The only thing is if, if one more person tells me, an autistic person, to stop touching my face and, you know, fiddling with my fingers. I mean, you might as well tell a neurotypical person to stop breathing oxygen. It's mm. not exactly that easy, but I take the point. Let's all be kind to each other and, you know, let's all practice hygiene 
That means for 90% of the people I personally know, that means when you go to the toilet, you'll actually use soap. <laughs> you'll actually wash your hands. I know what you do. You flush. You barely rinse under the water. Sometimes you turn the water on and off, but you don't actually wash your hands. I know because the water sound doesn't change from the hands impacting the water. I take notice. <coughs> You're disgusting. Anyway. Clean your hands. All right. Hey, Renee, thank you so much. It's been an absolutely enthralling uh, conversation and I'm sure it'll be extremely helpful to people listening. At, again, at the time of recording this podcast, this is all extremely accurate. God hopes we get through it. Again, thank you so much for your time. Not a problem. My guest on this episode was doctor, medical specialist and my wife, Renee. Intensely Inquisitive. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Intensely Inquisitive. My hope has this empowered you in some way, be that through learning new things, inspiring you to learn more, take action, or simply sparked interesting, deeper conversations? I look forward to continuing this conversation with you, so feel free to like the Orion Kelly page on Facebook. You can also send me a message on my website at orionkelly.com.au. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and what other stuff out there. <laughs> And if there's a topic or question you'd like me to explore on an upcoming episode of Intensely Inquisitive, well, please send me a message on my website or post on my Facebook page. And make sure you check out another podcast of mine called My Friend Autism. It's a podcast aimed at breaking down stigma and misconceptions around autism while providing real insights into life on the spectrum. Until next time, keep asking questions. Thanks for listening to Intensely Inquisitive with Orion Kelly. For more episodes and to stay up to date, like the Orion Kelly page on Facebook.